welcome to another edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. It is January 15th. Jake, it feels like yesterday that you and I were wishing each other a happy new year, and now we're already halfway through the first month. Yeah. What is this? episode? Third episode of the, the month for us. This is a five-episode month, I just realized, looking at the, the calendar. And let's just say there's a lot to talk about on this episode, but sadly... Pat Verbeek did not do us another solid, and he did not give us a trade to talk about on this episode. No no breaking trade today that's happened. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame that he couldn't come through. Although, I know. Although, I will say that with some of the trade rumors that were out there... That's in true. The la- ...in the last week, I'm almost, I'm almost glad nothing happened. Like, and n- nothing is better than something. Don't worry. We will, we will get there, folks. But we have a lot to, to talk about uh, on this episode... We'll eventually get to the game. Leo Carlson return. Yeah, Do you want to just give any brief thoughts there before we jump into some of the other stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think the headline here should be that the Ducks... I mean, the, there's two things that we should lead off with because I yep. think that they are kind of going to color the uh, you know the remaining part of the season, this kind of second half stretch. But the big news last week is Trevor Zegers and Pavel Minchikov. Yep. Out for a significant period of time. What is it? For? I actually don't have the timelines in front of me, so I'll, I'll pull them up. I think Zegers was six to eight weeks, and I think Minchikov was four to six. But let me let me confirm that real quick. Yeah. So let's see here. Yep, Zegers uh, six to eight weeks, broken a, left ankle. Yep. And then Minchikov suffered a separated shoulder and sideline approximately six weeks. So six weeks is not quite as bad, I guess, for Minchikov. Although separated shoulder sounds terrible um six to eight weeks though with a broken ankle for zegris it's just brutal i don't know how else to say it 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 was such a gut punch when this news came out it sucks for minchikov but it particularly sucks for zegris who again kind of like what we were talking about with jamie drysdale last episode that it just feels like their seasons just can't get off the ground it feels like they're just stuck on the tarmac and i thought zegris was playing well in his return from injury I thought he was playing very well, actually. Yep. And so I think seeing those two injuries come down the pipe here, it almost felt like, well, here we go again. Let's start talking about draft picks. Let's start talking about who is eligible at the you know fifth overall spot or whatever. And yes, these injuries do suck and they do lower the Ducks floor and their ceiling for the for the time remaining. I do think, though, that when you have a Leo Carlson back in the lineup, I think this team showed you today that it can still compete. It can still fight when it's click on all cylinders. Yeah. And, and I think that's one thing that kind of one of my biggest takeaways from today's game and just in general is that there's still a lot to play for, for this Ducks team. And I think there's a lot as a Ducks fan to pay attention to, to watch for, to, to keep an eye on where it's not like it's last season. I think where by the time we hit this point, it was all bad. Every game was bad. They were horrible. Nothing was good. And while I think that the Ducks are at this point in time probably locked into a top five, top seven draft position, um, I think the playoffs are completely out of the books, anything like that, anything about idea about being in a in a playoff race, in a hunt or in a spot for that, I, I think has been thrown out the door. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing left to learn, nothing left to give from the Ducks team, nothing left to look for. Because I think last season you could say that 
not only was everything horrible, but you had a lame duck coach at that point in time. Whereas at this point in time with this season, you have a brand new head coach still in Greg Cronin trying to implement his systems um, with this team and have buy-in because you need to eventually see results for this team to have the buy-in. Even if the process is going well, you need to see the the results start to come eventually. And like you said, you have Leo Carlson playing more and you, <laughs> you're just trying to find a, find a spot for that 49ers helmet, aren't you? Um, you have Leo Carlson just being a dominant force. I mean, he didn't have a point against the Panthers tonight, but he was, or tonight, today, um, this morning. But it's okay. He was dominant all over the ice. He was drawing penalties. He was creating chances. He was doing so many fantastic things on the ice where you put it out there, and I completely agreed, and then I put it on Twitter of the Ducks have a 19-year-old number one center. Like, that. Yeah. He's he is the number one center on this team. It's not even close. Yes, and so two things to this. On one hand, sorry, just putting something up on the screen here as the football scores come in. But one is that losing Trevor Zegers really sucks. And it's a huge blow to your lineup. It's a huge blow to your top six. It's a huge blow to your power play. Trevor Zegers, despite how excellent Leo Carlson is, Trevor Zegers is the best playmaker on this team, full stop. No question. Forget about it. It just doesn't matter. He is the best playmaker on this team. And then Pavel Minchikov, although his role, I would say, has decreased, you know, over the last, let's call it two months, maybe now taking back up with Jamie Drysdale traded, has been essentially a third pairing defenseman. So while it sucks to lose these guys, if you have a Leo Carlson in the lineup, if you can maybe reconfigure your deep pairings to where you have a workable group, you still have Mason McTavish, you have Leo Carlson back, Troy Terry is healthy. Alex Kalorn scores two big goals today. Frank Vetrano just literally cannot stop scoring goals. Yep, yep. Um, so these are injuries that hurt, but I'm kind of... If they keep showing us games like today, where, yes, helter-skelter, yes, a lot of things go wrong, but they still find a way to win, and they do it, and I think, in a way that you can be encouraged by, I'm going to keep believing in this team, at least just from a, hey, I'm excited to watch, I'm intrigued yeah. to watch... As long as they keep giving me a reason to. And today they gave us a reason to. Yeah. And, and I think the other other portion of that is it's testing Greg Cronin as a head coach, right? Like, it is not easy dealing with, with these injuries. And you yep. would not look at this roster and think this is that great of a roster. As yep. is currently constructed with the amount of injuries that have currently happened to this team. And the fact that he is able to, to have them playing a good 5-on-5 five five game against the Florida Panthers. If you look at the chances, look at things at 5-on-5, five five, it was pretty even. And the Panthers are a top-five team in terms of expected goals, expected goal share throughout the league. The main issue that's continuing for this team is just both a, a mixture of uh, undisciplined plays, creating uh, penalty kills against, and also just a special team play. And so those are continual things that need to be fixed that I'm continually looking for and still have not been fixed. But I think there's a whole lot of positives that can be taken away of how this team is playing at 5-on-5 and continuing to watch games to see that improve and see that improve and see that improve. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like Isaac Lundestrom is back and no, that does not make up for Trevor Zegras. But it does, like, they've gotten some pieces back that at least help round out the depth of the forward group. And we, and we, we saw today, I think probably one of the I don't want to say boldest moves that Greg Cronin has made this season, but I thought that putting a McTavish between Lundestrom and Vetrano, putting Lundestrom on the wing and shifting Henrique back to center, you know, taking Henrique away from McTavish. The mid-game shift he made. 
Yeah, like there's there, and yeah. that was that was for an entire period. That wasn't yep. just like a one-off. And so there's still a lot of tinkering. There's still a lot of experimentation going on. I mean, Mason McTavish wasn't healthy for a while. He is now, and he's still a player to watch. And who knows? Like the I, sh- I guess this is segue to saying that the Ducks claimed Gustav Lindstrom. Oh yeah, I have uh, no opinions on his game from today. I thought he actually. I mean, I thought him and Vakaninen had some okay shifts. I thought that. They had some helter skelter shifts. I don't know why I keep saying that, but they had some less than desirable shifts. But they also had some shifts where you saw some quick puck movement, some good positioning. And I got to watch a lot of Lindstrom because he played for the Canadians, mm-hmm. you know, early this seasons. And I I like him as a player, as like a, just a seventh kind of depth defenseman who can who can fill in and and play well. And so all that all that to say that if you you know you have him, maybe that he can play okay. And now maybe down the line, even though Gustav Lindstrom is there, you can at some point maybe call up Olin Zellweger. And, you know, Olin Zellweger was named an AHL All-Star, but maybe once he kind of continues to find his footing in San Diego, hey, maybe he can step in and kind of play that Minchikov role, maybe just just to kind of reward him for the season he's had so far. So even though it sucked at the time that these injuries occurred, I the more the time has gone on, the more I think, hey, you know what? Not that much has changed. There's still a yeah. lot to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think this is a pack it all up, it's tank time, anything like that. Like, I think this season is very different from that. I think the Zellweger point's an interesting one because I would not be surprised if at some point over the next little stretch here while Minchikov is out that he gets called up because the, they are clearly lacking something on the power play right now. Like, it it, it just does not look good as of don't right now. started. Neither unit. Well, we've gone in depth on it. There's a whole lot of other things to cover. So maybe if we have some time at the end, we can jump on it some more. But I think getting an Olin Zellweger, having that boost there for one of the units, I think could just be a nice shot in the arm for them. And so I think that that is something that could be really useful because as much as I like Jackson Lacombe's game, I don't see him as a PP1 quarterback. He should be the guy on power play two okay. more so. Um, I have I have a I have an interruption. I have a an interlude okay. here. Okay. How do we define power play quarterback? Uh, is this because of the whole conversation around Jamie Drysdale that's being mentioned of him being, uh, I I think a power play quarterback, I I think historically you would think of a Chris Prong or someone that can bomb it from the point, that type of deal. But I think it's evolved to where, in my opinion, what a power play quarterback is, is someone that is constantly able to move the puck, walk the blue line, move the, distribute it and create chances with their ability to move the puck on the blue line and essentially be the person that orchestrates everything from the top. And so like okay, a Kale so, McCarr. Okay. So you're saying a power play quarterback necessarily has to be a defenseman. I Yes. I think typically it's going to be a defenseman because they're the person at the point. That's how it's understood. But yes, I think that the way that things have evolved, I don't think that your power play quarterback, meaning presumably meaning, because I'm not, I'm not sure what it means, to be honest, is the guy who has the, the puck the most, the guy who is creating the most. Yeah, I think th- I think that that can be anyone on th- on the fair. ice, and I think that the way that we're seeing the game evolve, I think more and more the the, the quarterback is the guy on the half wall. Half wall, yeah, that's fair. So, so like a Zegras, a Carlson, I think that your half wall player has a way bigger impact than your point player, because yeah, I, your point your your point player can just kind of be f- not I don't say phased out, but can kind of have a much less yeah important role in in the in the overall scheme of your power play. Yeah, it's probably more a nomenclature thing of defenseman on the power play is typically defined as a quarterback of the power yeah. play whether that's correct or incorrect you're fair and in pointing that out but i guess more so the the power play one defenseman and i think olin zellweger is way more suited for that position than a jackson lacombe is at the nhl level 
And so that I, think, that I just think that there was a time there was a time where power play quarter you know power play quarterbacks you know there was that era that kind of mid two thousands mm-hmm. you can go as far back as you want where a shot from the point wasn't thought of as like a bad shot or wasn't thought of as like a less valuable shot and nowadays it's pretty rare to have a you know a, a power play quarterback a, a D man at the top at the blue line just bombing away letting shots rip. And, you know, back then it was seen as an advantage to have a guy who could actually score from over there. But now with how good goalies are, with how, you know, power, penalty kills are structured, I just don't think that that's the value of a D-man on, on, on the blue Agreed. line. I think I think now the value is a guy who can activate off the blue line, mm-hmm. who can who can come in, who can sneak in on the weak side, who can take dangerous shots. And that's where Olin Zellweger can come in. But I, I don't expect him to come in and like just orchestra everything. No, like, no, that's, no. It's not that, a, it's that's not, what I meant. It's not a fair expectation, but also I just don't think that that's what he is. Yep, that's valid. Uh, yeah. Want to give a shout out, good friend of the show, Chubbs Peterson, saying, Rudy the Goat, Jay the Goat, best podcast duo in sports. So that's a super chat right there. If you want to give a super chat, shout out uh, to you. It, it will be put on the screen like this one is. Um Okay, and the other thing that I wanted to mention, because we kind of gloss over a little bit more so talking about the team moving forward, but I feel awful for Zegris and Minchikov, both yeah, of them. Sucks. Um, Zegris, especially, his best friend is traded from the team. First game back, first or second shift back, uh, first or second shift of the game. Kind of gets his skates taken out from underneath him with the, with the stick and ends up going skate first into the boards and breaks his ankle or fractures his ankle like it sounds painful it's just shitty really really shitty and obviously we'll get to kind of the the things swirling around him also but i think just all of that combined it's just really crappy timing he was starting to really enforce himself on the game playing really well and you would have loved to have seen him get a stretch here where he could really start getting into it finding and also the fact that carlson was about to come back like that was what two games prior to carlson come three games there were two games in between that and Carlson yep. coming back because it was the Carolina game and the Tampa game. And so it, it's just a real bummer because we're not going to really get a concerted effort uh, or concerted look of Zegers and Carlson for more than maybe 20 games-ish. That's because just how it's the, been all season. One guy because, comes back, another yeah, gets hurt. Yeah, it, it sucks, and it's just really frustrating. And so by the time that Zegers comes back, um, I think there will be about 20 games left or something like that. Um, I, I did a look at one point in time. It's around 20 games. And so it's going to be actually interesting because right when he comes back, that's around roughly the time, depending on how far BC goes, that Cutter Gauthier is going to be available for the Ducks. And so that's, I think, a really fascinating thing to keep an eye on is when BC's season ends, Gauthier is going to be a Duck. That has been confirmed by him to, uh, what is it, Light the Lamp? I think Alexis Downey and the Duck Stream podcast yeah. that was confirmed by him to Derek Lee. Pat Verbeek said that everyone's confirmed that once BC season is over, he is jumping. He's signing the ELC coming straight to the Ducks. Yep. And so there's just a lot of fascinating options that come with that. And so I guess that's just, if you're looking ahead and looking for something exciting, that's that. And on the Minchikov front, like it looked really uh, nerve wracking and scary with, with the shoulder, um, just with the way that hit ended up happening. Um, and also a bummer because with Drysdale going out, like you can make the argument, maybe the ducks were showcasing him. I don't necessarily believe that that's the reason why I was on the power play, but Minchikov deserved to be on power play one. Like that was where he deserved to be. That was the role that he should have been in. And he was about to get a really long run there. Cause they're really, I mean, I don't think Jackson Lacombe is more suited for that than a Pavel Minchikov. And so it's just a bummer that we're now going to miss him for six games also. And so I think with both these injuries, it, it's just, it's a bummer. Like you said, 
one guy comes back, multiple guys go out. It, it's just, it sucks. There, there's yeah. really no other way around it. Although I will say this, that they're, they're still going to be able to play some games. Like they're, they're still yes. going to be able to come back and, and play the season. Like, like, like their, se- their seasons are far from over. Correct. Correct. The season goes until late April. And so yes. both of the, like Minchikov is going to be back in February. Zegers will be back probably late February, early March. Yep. And so they're still going to get a, a bunch of games. And, and so I, I don't think that it's, it's like a lost cause from, from that perspective at all. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. Want to, want to jump into it? Uh, or what anything are we talking else? about? Or, okay. uh, Let's just get into the drama. We have some some chats about it, things like so, that. I want to I want to shout someone out. Um, okay. In our in our YouTube, someone left yep. a comment. I'll find it. That said, you guys, because we did a video about Cutter Gauthier on the Crash the Pond YouTube channel, and someone commented, "Man, you guys should have farmed the drama a lot more." Um, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. So I don't know if, if if that's what you're doing right now. Is it is drama farming? I'm not really drama farming. I'm more or less trying to cut out the drama, if that makes any sense. Because and, and this is, I think, my my biggest overarching take slash opinion slash however you want to put it, frustration, everything like that is that Cutter Goche revealed to uh, Derek Lee and other members of the media that he had received death death threats from this on social media, his mentions, his DMs, everything were a complete mess for him. And as a 19 year old, that screwed up. There's no other way around it that no one should be deserving that because of sports. I mean, no one should be deserving that period. Like that, that is just completely messed up. I don't care how you view it. I find like if Philly fans want to hate him for the rest of their lives, fine. Death threats are, are one thing too far. And the one thing that I find extremely, extremely frustrating out of all of this is that the Flyers management knew what they were doing here. They know the fan base there better than anyone else. And by having this concerted PR effort to essentially trash the kid, make him look horrible, all these different things, present their side of it only, they are going out there and they are essentially shitting on him and unleashing all of the Philadelphia Flyers fan base on this 19-year-old kid. You have a you have Flyers fans showing up at BC showing up there and uh, having things or whatever the shirts were saying, all this different type of stuff. You have all this different type of stuff going on with that. And there is zero accountability from their side of it saying, okay, maybe fans should not be doing that. No one on the flyer side has even said that. And I also take issue with the fact of them saying that he ghosted them. What does ghosting mean? Like he, he had told them, I don't want to play for you. Their agents had told them that. Sure, maybe he could have talked to them, maybe he couldn't have. He owed them nothing to talk to them at that moment. And I think this this uh, sabotage against his career of being uh, a horrible kid or whatever is, is it's just extremely frustrating to see, extremely frustrating to see all this different type of stuff all around. Um, he is an 18-year-old, 19-year-old that was drafted by the organization. He is allowed to change his mind over that year with the one year that he saw in that franchise. And realized that he didn't want to go. He did not want to play there. If I mean, he really, I mean, teams teams do it all the time to players. Teams, look at Jamie Drysdale. Jamie Drysdale, <laughs> yeah. like Jamie Drysdale, was a a member of the core, and I hold true to that. That Jamie Drysdale was a member of the core up until last weekend or two weekends ago, and the fact that Briere and the Flyers were uh, ad- adamant, or they really liked him. However, it was, I think that they really wanted Jamie Drysdale in that deal. That's who they really wanted from the Ducks organization, and that's what it took to get Cutter Gauthier, and the Ducks had to do that to be able to 
shore up a position of weakness. Um, and uh, you don't see people complaining or arguing that the Ducks did, I mean, you have, the, the Ducks did Jamie Drysdale dirty, but you have so many people saying that uh, Gauthier did uh, did the Flyers dirty. And it it's just frustrating that a player is not able to try to make the decision that's best for him. And also, if he really wanted to screw over the Flyers, I mentioned this last week, he could have just waited out all four years. Like, yeah. like that was an option of he he could have rolled them al- like brought them along and said, "I want to play for you. I want to play for you." But keep going back to college. There's nothing that forced him to sign the ELC and tank his value by keeping it quiet and doing it this way. He gave the Flyers the ability to get a return back. And so by doing by all this reaction, it makes it makes Drysdale look awful. To be honest, to me. He's going in there, and it, I don't know. It, it's just extremely frustrating. Well, they're setting up Drysdale to fail, yep. I think. Just, you know, presenting him as the power play quarterback, a potential number one defenseman, all of this. And it's like, he could be that. But we're a, far, we're a long ways away from him really showing that he can do that the, consistently. And part of yeah. that's been injury, for sure. And, and there are people... Uh, he just kept stringing the long, stringing the long, if you been left for nothing. And that is, and I've gotten over the Justin Schultz situation, and I've come to the fact and the opinion that he's well within his rights to do that. That's fine. And, and so, no, I personally don't have any ill will towards him. And this is just a completely different situation than that Justin Schultz because he gave them that information. Um, so, that's it. Just want to say shame on, uh, I guess my internet's back for yeah, you, right now. You sounded like a robot for a little bit there, wow. but you're, wow. I think, I think you're back. Okay. Yeah. I tried to, I, tr- I tried to exude patience there. Sorry. Sorry. I had a feeling it would bounce back. So yeah, just more or less the, the, well, here's opinion. the number one thing. Here's just okay. the number one Go thing. For the, the only thing like really, th- this is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Here's what we have. We have, the Flyers part of side of it. Yep. We have Cutter Goche's side of it. And both of those sides are at best the tip of the iceberg. Yep. We don't know 99% yep. of what happened. We don't yep. know anything about the conversations really that went on before the draft, after the draft, between agent, between team, between player and team throughout all this time. So before casting judgment, before yes. picking a side, before saying one person screwed up or one person is a bad person or or the team is this, the player is that, acknowledge the fact that we don't know shit. Like, we really know very little. And it's really a leap to say, oh, well, Danny Danny Breer said this, or Cutter, Cutter Goche said this, therefore, the only and, conclusion is X. Like, at the well, end of the day, we don't know, and, we don't really know anything. And so I just think it's a waste of time to, to try to concoct these arguments because... Like I said, and we don't know shit. <laughs> here's the only thing that I'll add to that is that I think a lot of what we've heard, right, is all from the flyer side of it, which is all going to be twinged to make them look better. We went to the world juniors to speak to him that that that's been a talking point and he would not, uh, he would not talk to us. He would, he ghosted us, yada, yada, yada. Jeff Merrick and Elliot Freeman brought up the point that hockey Canada does not let any teams talk to their players at world juniors. Like uh-huh. it, like that is not an abnormal thing for players to not talk to teams as they're trying to win gold, and, yeah. and that's what well, he plays going for, for USA. No, no, I know, but okay. I'm saying that that's something Hockey Canada will do. But it's not shocking that Team USA would do that also um, in this moment. 
And I guarantee you, they probably called the agent and the agent said, no, he's not going to talk to you there. They still went. Like, it's not like they went to the World Junior specifically talk to, to talk to Gauthier. They went there for other reasons also. And so I just think a lot of the... A lot of the information that's being put out there is uh, twinged in one situation or towards one direction because it's coming from that one side. That's the only piece that I will put there. And you're spot on, though. We don't really know anything. Yeah, we don't know anything. So, like, it's like how it was with contract negotiations with Zegers and Drysdale over the summer. Like, we can speculate, we can try to put two and two together, but at the end of the day, we're totally on the outside. And yep. and honestly, it seems like. The, the best information we have, which would be Elliot Friedman saying that, you know, there were some there was yeah. some ruffling of feathers with the ELC not being signed a year ago. Even that is still very, very just kind of breadcrumbs like we still really don't know much. So one day we'll, we'll know a lot more. But yeah. until then, it's just not worth kind of losing yeah. sleep over. Yeah. And I mean, the only other the only thing that we actually have from the Gauthier side of it is that there were multiple things over the past year. That was the yep. only piece of information that came from Derek Lee's article um, when he spoke to the media. That it wasn't just one thing. It was multiple things. And, I mean, look at all the stuff that went down with the Flyers yeah. franchise over the last year. Like, we don't need to, to go over it again, but the the franchise of Philadelphia Flyers was a laughingstock for a good little while there. And they've kind of righted the ship now, but it took a while. And so... I wouldn't blame any prospect for looking at that at the time and be like, yeah, you know what? This just seems really unstable. I want stability, like whatever. It honestly, like the, the reasons it, don't matter. You're not well, obligated to sign w- with that team and, that drafts you at the end. And of the I day. also don't think he owes the flyers a reason either. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't owe them a reason, but yeah, it's better to provide a Agreed. reason. It's better Agreed. to be straightforward. It's better to Agreed. be transparent. I think that the way he did it, is not beyond reproach. I think that painting him as someone who did absolutely nothing wrong per se is a, a bit too much for my liking. Like mm-hmm. there seems to be some inkling of maybe a lack of professionalism, but that could just be bad agent. That could be bad agent advice. It could still not be a reflection of his character. Yep. At the at the end of the day, we again, even with all of that, even with that information, we still don't actually know anything about him the person. Yep. So that's why I just urge people to just lay off. Like, yep. We don't. We don't know. We well, we don't know. Yep. We know we don't know. So, yep. Just back and the hell up. What we know is that he was a teammate of Nikita Nesterenko, and there was an article put out on the Athletic today with Nikita saying he's a really good kid, good personality, and uh, more or less saying that everything that's being put out there is just really untrue in terms of what type of person, what type of character he has. So, I will trust Nikita Nesterenko, who is a teammate and a line mate of him. More than Joe Schmo on the internet. Yeah. So. so all right. So before we kind of get into Cutter Gochi a little bit more, because Boston College played two games over the weekend and we both watched one of them. Did you catch the other one yet or no? No. So before we get into that, though, um, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Uh, so fantasy football champs, our friends at Manscaped, want to congratulate you on making it to the 2024 playoffs. As for the rest, well, the fantasy gods have spoken, and it's time to shave off that didn't-make-the-cut playoff beard. Uh, No more hiding behind facial hair. Embrace the clean slate 
with Manscaped's Beard Hedger. Because nothing should be as unruly as your failed trade strategies. Embrace victory and join the 10 million men who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code CTP for 20% off and free shipping. So, I mean, my fantasy football did not go well this year. No. I I went, I, I had one loss in the entire regular season. And then which, which I, league are you talking about? You're not talking is, about this, the crash the pond league. No, th- this is my work league. And okay. um, yeah, it, it did not go good. But I did avoid, luckily, last place. So you can count on me for some good fantasy football advice. Maybe, maybe not actually. No, trust Felix no. more. Uh, so You said the gen- Eagles were going to win when they were down by like 20. Yeah, tonight, it happened. So. so gentlemen, tidy up your act with a clean shave before you draft your way to redemption next season. I definitely need redemption after this season. Manscaped is the ultimate franchise player to take your face to the end zone with the new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. This package has made it easier than ever to craft your signature look and is a premium beard sculpting machine. Featuring the Beard Hedger cordless trimmer, it has one guard with 20 different lengths and is waterproof. That's right, no more drawers full of 20 different guards. Shower shave as much as your heart desires. With 20 lengths, it's time to move the six from your old beard razor, look and feel ready for the big game every day with Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Don't just say shave, indulge in liquid luxury. Our kit includes specially crafted formulations to keep your beard looking brilliant. And lastly, as a bonus, Manscaped has thrown in beard, a beard accessory pack, beard brush, beard comb, and beard scissors for the finishing touches for of every modern bearded gentleman. So get 20% off and free shipping with our code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our code CTP. Get ready for fantasy football offseason uh, like a true uh, grooming gen- uh, grooming champion. With the Beard Hedger Pro Kit, you're not just shaping your beard, you're crafting a winning look. People are really not liking the helmet. <laughs> Why not? People are, are really uh, Why not? Re- really being mad about that. Um, <laughs> oh, that's but- funny. Uh, all right. So let, let's kind of move on here. Karagochie, what do you think of the game that you watched of him? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, did we want to squash a rumor first? Okay, let's squash the rumor first. Okay, so- I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it very short and sweet because I really don't want to give too much airtime to this. But the quote-unquote report that Frank Saravalli put out last week on Daily Faceoff where he put Trevor Zegers near the top of his trade list and basically, the entire foundation for that conclusion, to put him that high on the trade list and to say to look out for a potential trade, is that Zegers' name has, quote-unquote, come up in trade conversations this season, which could mean literally anything. It could, like, we have no clue what that really truly means about how far and how serious it ever got. And the other piece of information that he used is that they just traded his friend, Jamie Drysdale. And I just want to say that Frank Cervalli, as the president of the Hockey Writers Association or Professional Hockey Writers Association, whatever it is, was completely unprofessional there. I think that to to put a player's, you know, professional future where they're playing kind of out there for people to speculate about based on such a weak foundation is totally irresponsible. And if he knows something more that he's not letting on, then say it. Like, don't be a freaking coward. If if you actually have good information that you know from someone that, yes, there, there have been actual trade talks, then say that instead of this breadcrumb bullshit that just happens over and over and over again. Like, this affects the players. They see it. It can ruffle feathers. It can ruffle relationships. 
And I just think it's bullshit. Again, I have nothing against trade reporting, but have some foundation. Don't just yeah. don't don't just put two and two together and all of a sudden you think you have ten. Like yeah. it, it's just total crap from him, Bush League. And I don't know. I just very much appalled by by that yeah. display. It, it's irresponsible. And here's here's what I'll add to to that because 100% completely agree. You and I are on the same exact uh, side of this. But all GMs talk about their players, like. Bringing up the fact that Verbeek has mentioned Zegris' name in conversations with teams this season doesn't mean jack shit. Like, not even trade conversations, just conversations. Like yeah, this, e- this kind of loose term. Even if it was trade conversations, I was listening to, I think it was on the, the Jeff Merrick show because I was listening to it a bunch last week because of all the trade stuff and yada, 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 all that different type of stuff. Um, and they had mentioned, I forget the GM, but basically every GM talks talks about their players. Every GM will ask about the value of their player because that's how you learn what you can get back for them. Is it possible that Pat Verbeek has been asking about Trevor Zegers's trade value? Sure. It's completely possible. Does that mean that he is on the trade block or that the, the Ducks are shopping him? No, because I guarantee you he probably has done this with so many other players. I guarantee you he did it with Troy Terry. I guarantee, like, this is just what general managers do. They figure out what the value of their, their player is. And I really respect both Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman with the way they covered it after this report with the fact that Chris Johnson completely came out and just said, what rumor? You mean the spe- it seems like it's more speculation about connecting dots about saying, well, Drysdale's gone, but and so Zegris, his best friend, is now going to be gone. And then Elliot Friedman saying it's mainly because, uh, or this seems like it's coming from a fact that they don't think Zegris will work with Verbeek, like work long-term with Cronin and Verbeek because what they imagine for a team just like it doesn't fit, doesn't speculation fit, yes and and Elliot even pushed back he's like talent usually wins out I don't understand why there are so many people with this opinion like and it I'm really shocked by it honestly that there are this many people putting out this opinion and I respect I mean, that the, the, the freaking president of the hockey writers association yes. is putting out like this is someone who's like a yes. gatekeeper yes. for hockey journalism and well and, and here's the other point of it is that Connecting Zegers to Drysdale makes no goddamn sense at all because it's yeah. not the same situation at all. Drysdale yeah. was traded because he was one of a bunch of defensemen that are going to be in the NHL. And you could say he was a surplus to requirements because there were other defensemen in the system that are going to be able to do more than him and maybe be better than him. There is not... So- and Pavarbeek mentioned this, that they need more goal scoring. They mean need more production from their forwards. Trevor Zegers does that. There is not someone else on this Ducks team that does what Trevor Zegers does um, for this team. The creativity, the playmaking, you said it. He's the best playmaker on this team. And so there is not a situation where you do a like-for-like like trade like you did with, with Drysdale for Gauthier because you're just adding to, like, why would you add a defenseman with with Trevor Zegers? And so it, there's just not a trade out there that necessarily makes sense, in my opinion, for Trevor Zegers right now. Could he be traded? Sure. But it's not going to be connected because of the way that this is all being connected right now. Yeah, we're not we're not refuting the possibility that this is in fact true. I'm just completely destroying the notion, like like the basis of this conclusion that he's putting out there. Right? Mm-hmm. Sure, it could be true. It could totally be true that Trevor Zegers is in fact being shopped. But if you're going to come out with such a strong conclusion, you better have more than just well, him and Jamie Drysdale are buddies and. I forget the other reason. Like, it's just... His name was mentioned by Verbeek. It's just total Bush League. It's total Bush League. And this is someone that's supposed to be the peak of journalistic integrity in the sport. 
and he couldn't be further from the peak. He's at like the very bottom. He's he's no better than the freaking Toronto Sun or, or whoever at that point. And I mean, Elliot Friedman actually did report and say that there was a trade for Trevor Zegers that actually Verbeek was mulling over summer. But guess what? He didn't accept it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there, there's not a whole lot to report there. Corey Perry was almost traded by the Ducks for, I forget the guy's name, from the Oilers. Like, guys are almost traded all the time. That doesn't mean uh mean it and Corey todd brings up a point in our youtube chat that like um cerevelli made it sound like verbeek was running around knocking on doors yeah and that just doesn't seem like the case mike comrie was the person that perry was almost traded for that's what it was yeah so, so total crap it like yeah like sure zegris could be traded that that could happen but i wouldn't this, this uh don't use this, this as your argument don't well, use don't, this to, not, to, to bolster your that, argument I wouldn't say he's on the trading block. Like, I don't think that that is my takeaway. Well, we on we any just of don't this. know. We don't know. Like, we That's don't fair. know. Any, we don't. We know just as much as Frank Valley, Clearly, yeah. <laughs> if he's using that to draw conclusions. Yep. Anyway, turning the page, leaving that, leaving that to the side, and yep. never revisiting it. Um, yeah, Cutter Goche. We got to see a game of his. It was kind of unfortunate because they were playing Providence on Friday. They also played them on Saturday, but it was a kind of a beatdown game. Yeah. Seven to one, you know, it's hard to get a great feel for a player, I think, in a game like that. But I thought he, he showed some good things. You know, I think that the defensive game has been questioned. And I'm not going to call out the people who have watched him way more than me. But his positioning, at least in that game, was sound. I thought that offensively, he made some good decisions. He scored a goal and an assist. Um you know, you could see some of the skating strides, some of the power, some of the shot mm-hmm. power, mm-hmm. some of that kind of some of that ability to be a support player, because at the end of the day, I think that that's what we're all projecting him as. Yeah. Then again, it could be that he comes in like everyone's listing him as a winger for the next level. And I tend to agree with that just because he's really just not involved. He's not the straw that stirs the drink like a center is offensively. But he is playing center and he, it could very well be that he comes in at the next level and, and surprises us, but he kind of was to expectation. And I think that just watching him play, you see the talent. I see the talent. I also don't, I don't necessarily see like a fifth overall pick and maybe that was just a bad game or it was just, uh, you know, like it's a one-off. So at the end of the day, you don't want to draw huge conclusions, but I have watched other clips of him games of his, and I think that he may have been a little overdrafted, but let's say that he's actually on talent, like seventh overall, eighth overall, whatever. I think that playing alongside a Zegers, playing alongside a Leo Carlson, that elevates him to like a fourth or third overall because his skill set is really going to mesh well with what the Ducks have. It's cool. I just think that the fit from an on-ice perspective just couldn't be better for Cutter Gauthier. I also don't think, I, I just think that, that determination of him being taken fifth overall doesn't really matter, honestly, to me that much in, in well, this conversation. You, you just hear people throw that no, out. No, like, oh, agreed. Got, yeah. But I, I think even if he was like a seventh or eighth overall pick, this is still a great trade for the Ducks because it is, like we mentioned a bunch, dealing that position of weakness or position of strength to address a pos- position of weakness. He is still a massive upgrade regardless of his draft position. And the Ducks gave up someone that was surplus to requirements. And, yeah. and, you, that, and you can th- make you, you can make the same argument that I was making about Gauthier for Drysdale. Like Drysdale yeah. maybe was not on true talent like a sixth, you know, that high of a pick, but it's all system dependent. And I think that the the number one skill that I picked out from Gauthier in that game is just he's good at getting open. Yes. And get, getting open is such a vastly underrated skill. And 
if you can get open on this Ducks team, the puck is going to find you. It is yeah. 100% going to find you. Yeah, I think it was a you did a breakdown on what was it? Was it on the Patreon specific? No, I'm this trying was, to remember. Th- this was out there. This was public. That was out there on the yeah, it was public. anyone can watch. And so go check out the our YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, go check out our channel. The full video of the breakdown of what was it? Every single shift of Carter Gauthier was out Almost. there. Almost. I, I cut out some of the late ones because it was a yeah. blowout, but yeah. Yeah. And it was really, really good. I think was it the goal <laughs> where he ends up finding really soft space off the face off? And yeah. And really kind of works into that spot. It wasn't the bet. Like, it was a good shot, but it was one that you would probably expect the goalie to make. But it's his ability to find that soft space on the ice that I think was so impressive. The first goal, I think, was really nice with his transition into the zone and hold up to be able to make the pass. Um, But he's an exciting, exciting prospect because he does things that no one else in the stuck system does and has a shot like no one else in the stuck system does. Yeah, he can... Like, I think it's funny because... I think I heard him say in an interview or a comment somewhere that he bottles his shot after Austin Matthews. And you can tell that he ha- he tries to get that kind of whip effect on his shot. I don't think he necessarily has that, but he puts a ton of weight on into his shot. Like you can really see how much power is on it. And it, if it's he can funny just clean that, it. Go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's funny that you mentioned Austin Matthews, that he mentioned that. Cause I was going to say, I, I think there are some similarities in his game. Yeah to Matthews and the way he skates is weirdly similar to Austin Matthews and may and like it, it's he, one of these he's, things he's where he's got a sneakily powerful stride I think yeah like I think when you're watching it on the surface it almost looks like he's not trying or not skating hard but yes. when when you kind of look at it he ends up skating a lot faster than you think and I think Austin Matthews is a very similar type of skater there are guys like Frank Vetrano is a guy that comes to mind where when they get going those legs are churning like and it yeah. looks like they're they're going hard. Whereas there are other guys where they are just so long, they're longer lanking, more powerful in their strides that it's never gonna look like they are going or trying that hard when they're getting up to speed. And that was something that I think was really evident to me in his skating tread and his game overall. And so it's funny that you mentioned Matthews and they models a shot after him because I think there is a decent amount of Austin Matthews in his game overall. Yeah, I, I just think that even though in this game at least he was always well positioned. You know, that like that kind of lack of skating where you're just kind of floating mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like you're trying really hard. At some point, he is going to have to up that activity level. You know, Probably. it's just like the game is going to get faster. The competition is going to get better and he's going to have to. But I think that in the instances where he has to skate hard or he skates really hard to get to a puck or whatever, you can tell that it's there, that the power and the athleticism is there. It's just he doesn't have to lean on it as much when he's playing lesser competition. Yep. And I don't think we mentioned it last week on the podcast, but he mentioned it to uh, Alexis Downey and that he actually grew up in Arizona and came out to Southern California a lot up until he was about age 10, I think was when he made the move to Michigan for hockey, but came out to Southern California for tournaments. And so yet another non-traditional, uh, someone from a non-traditional market making their way into the NHL, not, necessarily staying there throughout all of his teens teens but starting his hockey uh journey in arizona and so cool to have a non-traditional someone from a non-traditional market on the team yeah and i mean i think it also just selfishly um it just speaks to how much california is such a big player in hockey nowadays in the united states and even worldwide i mean look at the top of the draft this year like zeev buyam from laguna niguel yep um you know, like 
uh, Cutter Gochi had to come out to California because that's where all the ice was. That's where all the tournaments were. Macklin Celebrini, like he played for the Junior Sharks. His dad mm-hmm. is the the do- the doctor for the Warriors. Um, Trevor Connolly, I think, is from Tustin, and he's in he's draft eligible this year, and I think he's projected to be a first rounder. So California is like it's it's beyond just like a good feel good story now. It just is a yeah. major hockey factory now. It's really cool. Yep. Yep, definitely. Um, all right. That's going to do it, I think, for what I've got on Cutter Goche and from that game. Anything else you want to touch on from the last week or so? Yeah, so... get to questions. The number one thing that has kind of drawn my attention as of late, mm-hmm. and I did a video on Patreon, so if you're a, a patron, you can go check that out. Mason McTavish. Because going into the season there was kind of this assumption that Mason McTavish is a ready-to-go NHL center, defensively responsible, strong, you know, powerful skater, all of that. And he's he's just going to seamlessly become that, no questions asked. And I think what we've seen, especially the last two months, I would say, is that Mason McTavish is a 20-year-old NHLer who is still very much figuring it out. Yep. Still, pos- still possessing all of those tools, still possessing all of those things that make you excited about his future, but he is by no means a finished product. He's by no means fully formed. And I mean, even Greg Cronin had talked about, you know, recently in public comments saying that, yeah, the defensive game, he's had some bad defensive games. And, you know, watching him today, watching him very closely today, I just see a player right now who's almost in his own head. Yep. Like there, like there's just a lot of thinking in his game. Sometimes there's not enough thinking. Sometimes there's too much thinking. And maybe it could be a matter of the system not being conducive to him, his strengths. It could be a matter of the wingers, the, the, the line mates not being right. It could be a matter of maybe he's not a center. Like who knows? There's so many different possible answers, but I just want to put, I just want to put kind of some, some breaks on the, the Mason McTavish hype train. I'm not, mm-hmm bring it to a full stop, but I'm just kind of putting it on a gentle speed. Let's just gently cruise on the hype train because he's, he's figuring it out. It's, it's a lot like what we saw from Trevor's egress last year, I would say. Yep. Yep. One, 100%. I mean, you saw it in the, what was it? The first goal or maybe the second goal. I can't recall fully from today's game, but there was the, the shorthanded goal against where he essentially lets a guy skate past him. Maybe thinks Alex Kalorn, who's more so on the right side, is going to pick him up, and just a, a complete lack of communication there, not picking up a guy coming in, and the the Panthers end up scoring there. And we just see a lot of those types of missed assignments, right, in the defensive yeah. zone. I think that that's that's the biggest part, and it it shows also in his underlying metrics. I mean, if you look at things like evolving hockey's wrapping model, defensively he has been pretty poor this year. Offensively <laughs> has been uh, offensively he's been good, and so I think you're spot on that. I think it being critical of him is fair, but I think also understanding that he is a 20 year old working this out, I think adjusting the expectation. And that's what we've talked about a bunch of, he's not this, this do it all two way center right now. He is an offensive center. That is what he is. He should not be relied upon unless Greg Cronin is trying to get him to learn to do that. And you're trying to throw him to the fire and learn with those mistakes. That's fine. But he is just not a defensive center as of right now. That is not what his game is. He he's physical. Sure. Physicality does not mean good defensively. And I think that's the biggest disconnect for a lot of people is a lot of people think physical equals good defensive. That's not the case. Yeah. I mean, today there were two instances where he just straight up bullied Sam Bennett, like defensively, just kind of pile driving him in the corner. Mm -hmm. 
getting the puck from him. And then offensively, he just came down the wing on his backhand, one hand on the stick, and Sam Bennett just could not touch the puck. He just yeah. lowered that center of gravity using that that big uh, <laughs> that big lower half of his body. We'll call it, um, you know, very Sidney Crosby esque. We'll call it. And then he went he went ahead and ran into Anthony Stollars, which is pretty funny because then all hell broke loose. But so you can see why people think of him that way because he's so strong, he's so powerful for a kid his age. But it's mm-hmm. just that there's there's so much more to the game than that. And I think that one thing that kind of concerns me right now is that we're not seeing him get those kind of I don't want to say vintage because he's you know twenty years old, but like those patented Mason McTavish rushes through the middle of the ice. Yeah, you know, I think that he's so good in transition when he's kind of that first lead man off the breakout, gets that first pass, and he's so good at carrying it through the middle, making the right pass, making a move. And lately, if you watch him, like he's not really like there are times where he just kind of skates in a straight line. He's all like not even expecting to get the puck. Um, it's just strange because to me, his bread and butter is really creating, and I just don't know if it's a system thing or what, but he. He's just not really like in a groove right now. And it, yeah. I just want people to to understand that this is not me hating on Mason McTavish because it's his talent is undeniable. We've seen yep. it over and over and over again. But at the same time, just trying to temper expectations because he's not there yet. That doesn't yep. mean he, he won't get there and he very likely will get there. And Pete Blaster brings up the whole team in the beginning of the season where we had a number of comeback games. The McTavish line was the best line. No questions on McTavish then. Uh, give him a break. I mean, here's the thing. If you go back and look at some of those games, that line was getting poor chances or chances coming against. Yeah, their their defensive numbers were not good. Their defensive numbers were not good. They were just getting saves and they were getting high shooting percentage, which is going to happen throughout stretches. And it's going to really paper over some of the flaws within a line or on a line. But as time goes on, it's going to start adding up more and more over time because the sample size is growing. You're not going to be able to paper over it as much. And that's what we're starting to see. We're seeing that come back down to earth. We're seeing the goals going against more so than four. And I, there's an adjustment that has to be ha- has to happen there. And there is time. He is still young. There's still plenty of time to grow in his game, though. Yeah, and I think that what we've seen this season, so another thing I want to bring up is that if you look at some of his great early season success where he was getting all those points, a lot of it was off the rush. Yes. A lot of it yes, was, yes, yes. whether it was in overtime or you know late in games, what have you, he was getting those rush opportunities because the Ducks were able to survive defensively, you know, get the puck back, get a successful breakout, or create a, a turnover in the D zone and go the other way. And if, you're, if your defensive game falters, you're not going to get as many of those rush opportunities. You know, yep. either you start cheating for offense or you just you end up getting stuck and i think that that's why we're seeing less of that from him right now and also yes he takes a lot of penalties but and he i mean he was taking penalties early in the season also yeah that's nothing new so that that that's been a consistent thing uh throughout um i guess the other thing that i oh oh, sorry the the other thing i wanted to say is yeah yeah, go for it the other thing i I just want to say is that we've seen players in season get better at, at things like think about Troy Terry in the beginning of the season and, and just how lost he looked at, at times with the puck without the puck. And now I think Troy Terry's like looks better than ever. I mean, he scored a amazing goal so today um, and he's doing all the little things like, you know, working it along the wall, cutting back, creating little slip passes for his line mates that he just wasn't doing early in the season. And I honestly didn't think that that was in his game. And so 
it's totally within the realm of possibility that a guy can work something out in his game on the fly and be better for it. So this is not us at all writing off Mason McTavish. This is just yep. simply pointing out what has been going on on, on the ice. Yep. And, and to go back to one of the earlier points we've made on this podcast, we've kind of gone on a little bit of an adventure, but getting back to the start of this is looking at this team and looking for positives and things to look for. The Nashville game is a prime example of this team when they're at their best. Because they that was one of the most utterly dominant games that I think I've seen from the Stucks team this season. Sure, they allowed some goals at the end there uh, to make it a little bit tighter. But that game, they were they really got on the puck. They really got chances for. And they really, really played a very, very good game. They got some bounces to go their way finally. Uh, and UC Saros led in some maybe softer goals. But that was a game where the Ducks deserve to win and they got the results also and they've had a nice little stretch here i mean the detroit game just looking at expected goal share 52 percent of the expected goals at five on five nashville 57 percent carolina is a weird one where it felt like they just got absolutely trashed but it the carolina special of the ducks had a 36 percent corsi uh four percentage but a 57 percent expected goal share mm-hmm. where carolina just takes shots from absolutely everywhere and the ducks were able to get their chance a little bit closer um, Tampa game was not good. And then tonight about a 40, 40 some odd percent. So they, they are playing better hockey overall. Cronin system is working in some manners. There are things that he should definitely work on and improve, but I think that we are seeing this team starting to hit a little bit of a nice stride right here. Yeah. I mean, today they, they played a frantic game, but they, they were not like just surviving this game. I thought yeah, like they to- got some chances. To be fair, when I say that, I'm uh, specifically talking about five on five. Yeah, special teams, whole different story. In in a I mean, bad the power way, play basically. still sucks. The power yep. play coaching still sucks even more. It's yep. gotten worse somehow. Like today, the, the the first unit played 35 seconds and got off at one point. Yep, the penalty kill looks really really bad. Yeah, I mean the penalty kill I'm a little less worried about just based off today because the Panthers are just. You look at the guys that they put out there, and it's like, yeah, that's they allowed, that's going to be hard. They allowed three goals on three, I think, three penalties against Tampa. Also, maybe it was a little bit more. But I mean, Tampa, uh, same thing. Like, agreed. Kucherov, but like, still, these like are that, that, that can't be an excuse to just consistently allow like shorthanded goals against. Like, you need to be able to have some kills there. Like, you you can't just take a penalty and assume a goal against. Um, so. I think I get what you're saying, but I think there also needs to be a little bit better there from the penalty kill to figure that out. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of it though, that I've got from essentially this past week, except for Leo is excellent. And I forgot just how good he was to be honest. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think gives me a lot of optimism for the kind of the, the home stretch here is just the fact that he, he came in today and just immediately looked awesome and he was doing it against a very good team. Once again, late in the game, uh, Matt, Matthew Kachuk just trying to bait him into taking a penalty and just doesn't bite, just showing that that veteran poise at age 19. And just the fact that he can come in and, and revive a breakout, you know, maintain possession, get dangerous looks, set up his teammates, generating speed with and without the puck. Like, he just does it all, and... It's incredible. It, it, is, it really is incredible the fact that he's doing this already and that he's just going to get better. Like, like this is not going anywhere. And so, and you hear from his it, line mates also. 
I mean, they they better be talking him up because the- Troy Troy Terry and Alex Kaloran were hyping him up so much in their post game interview. By the way, yeah. want to mention Alex Kaloran also fantastic today. Had uh, two goals. Ha- had two goals. The OT winner. Cam Fowler with a really nice feed to set him uh, up for a good chance. Then Vitrano gets the puck back, feeds him. Uh, he scores, and something that happened to the crowd pissed him and Frank Vitrano off. Where uh, yeah, the the memes coming out of that are funny, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, but, but Alex Kalorn, I get, I get people's frustration. He's paid to score goals. Yes, and it sucks when he's not. But they're gonna come, and especially when he's playing with better line mates today, like Leo Carlson, or when he's gotten to play with Trevor Zegras. And I mean, today I think that what you liked about those goals is that they weren't necessarily just getting set up by a great line mate. I mean, one of them, it's just off a, it's off a lost face off in the D zone and Adam Henrique just kind of rushes the, the point I think it was. And Kalorn just jumps on that. And then he takes it down breakaway puts on a move and scores. Like that's not really him getting set up. That's just him creating a play for himself. And then the OT goal, same thing. Like he, he could have scored one when camp Fowler passed it to him. And then he comes back out in front. So he looked really good today. I'm sure that there was some extra juice just playing, you know, kind of in these, these arenas where he's played a ton, yep. um, you could tell that there that the guys kind of there was a little extra edge on these yep. players today. So that's always fun. But yeah, the the Frank Vitrano thing, I don't know. Does the NHL have a policy against that? Is oh, he, he get a he's, fine? yeah, he's gonna get fined. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I personally don't condone that, but I just unclear, un unknown what happened to cause it. Him. Doesn't it doesn't really entertain me? Yeah, personally, but. If it was Philly, I'd be totally fine with it. Mm. I, oh, I think a fan did throw a water ball on the ice at them. Oh, that's really... Yeah, then it was deserved. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, someone threw a water ball that hit Fowler. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so yeah, I'm a lot terrible. of people are saying that. So, deserved then. Deserved. Well deserved. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, should we mention... I, I just keep doing this. Sorry, before we get to questions. Frank Vitrano... Yeah, he's an all-star. Not only that, there's a lot of kind of pushback on on something you and I put out there, quote tweeting our good friend Pat. I didn't actually say anything. I just said that that Patrick was right. Oh, um, that uh, Frank Vitrano, he should definitely be dangled this deadline. You look at what guys in the past have gotten. A Blake Coleman, for instance, uh, is a prime example that Pat brought up. Um, there's a whole lot of value for a 21 goal scorer if the Ducks retained half. And quite frankly, Frank Vitrano is probably not going to be on the Ducks when they are in their contending window. Yeah, He might be there next year to help them somewhat, but you can find someone like him. The The production that he has this year is not exactly sustainable production. You look at some of the other underlying metrics around his game, and it's not as if he's necessarily providing you a whole lot of positive um, yeah. especially defensively, you look at, I was curious, I don't love Dom Lechizian's, uh, player cards, but I was just out of curiosity looking at that. And he had Frank Vetrano at essentially his exact value, the amount that he's getting you offensively, he's giving back defensively. Uh, and so that makes sense from looking at some of the other numbers around him. And so if you're able to get some high value prospects or high value assets for that, and you're able to find someone that gives you that media, that three million dollar value in the offseason that's exactly what you want do you think you can get a first round pick and a prospect for frank Petrano? yes 
Okay. I mean, but if you're the other, like, why would a team look at what he's doing and, and pay a premium for that? Because if you got him at half retained and the value that he's providing, and also GMs are dumb and look at goals. Yeah, but I mean, are they that dumb, though? Like, this is a pretty classic, although he's now down to 14%. He's so now he, down to fourteen percent, shooting yeah. twenty twenty, or he has twenty one goals. Yeah, and they could have him what at like one point eight seven five mil. I just don't think like I just he, don't think GMs are at the point are are so dumb that they're going to say, oh yeah, this guy's a forty goal scorer now. Let me go pay a forty goal score price. No, but if you think you're able to get him at a cost controlled value for this year and next, and even if he is a twenty some odd goal scorer next year, like that and penalty killer, all these different things that you could throw out there. Look at what Barkley Gaudreau. Uh, DB Lowry points out went for a first little different with a pick going back the other way. Also that, that is a lot of times forgotten about that trade. Um, but it, it's, I, I think you have to explore trading him. So I, I don't know why my wife is waving at me. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Felix. If, if you are the ducks, you absolutely have to explore trading Frank Vetrano. Um, uh, just for the timeline reasons. I mean, it's just the fact that, you know, right now he's 29. Uh, he's going to be 30 in a couple months. And again, he's not old. It's just that for where the Ducks are at, you can clearly see that there's still going to be a bit of a climb. They're not all the way there yet. It's going to be at least another year or two. And so you're like, are you going to sign his next? If you're the Ducks, are you going to sign his next contract? Because he's going to go and try. He's going to he's going to finish this year with whatever he finishes with, whether it's 30, 40 goals. He's if he just kind of stays at where he's been, he's gonna get another twenty something goals next year. He's kind of gonna get the bump of just being this gritty he's, player who scores goals, who loves to shoot, who brings energy, he, and he's gonna be a third liner eventually for you, which is what he should he, be. He's probably. he's gonna ask for a big contract, you know, relative to what he is. And I just don't think if you're the Ducks, it makes sense to spend that money on a player like that. Um, so if that it, if that's the case, then you move him this year when he's at his highest value. And I know it's an unpopular opinion because he's been one of the few bright lights in a kind of a unsuccessful season wins and losses wise, but big picture, it doesn't make a ton of sense to, to keep him around uh, long-term. And I guess, you know, the, the counter argument would be that, Hey, the ducks are trying to build up a culture. They're trying to build up a team that can compete soon, you know, whether it's next year or, or the one after, and you do need guys to fill out your roster that that can bring some value. And you're not expecting 40 goals from from Frank Vitrano, but if he just can just be the, the the average of what he's been, a 20-ish goal guy who can, you know, play on the the penalty kill, who can bring you some energy, like I could see a team being, you know, like I could see the Ducks being like, well, you know what, we're gonna probably w- want to go and find a Frank Vitrano at some point. And so it really just depends on what they think that price will be, yeah, um, to resign him. I think that that would be leaving a whole lot of value on the table. Um, well, there. and again, like we don't know, like what is the best case scenario return? You yeah, know, it's, it's a, fair. It's a first round pick and yeah. somebody's prospect that they don't. Want. I mean, ex Nicholas Rage brings up a good point that teams get dumb for guys when they think they're the final pieces. And if you can get a guy that's a 20 plus goal scorer at 1.8 mil yeah. for this year and next, that's going to garner a lot of value in a cap strap league. Like that, that just is the sure. value there because yeah. of that cap. It's high. And I think there's also guys within the duck system that could come up and provide maybe not the goal scoring, but a similar overall value to the team in a Pavel Regenda. I think that that's a guy that can instantly come up and kind of fill a very similar role 
to a yeah. Frank Fatrano, not from a shooting perspective, but just from like an overall value perspective. And you yeah. have Cutter Cutter Gauthier joining the team that's going to fill the goal scoring uh, hole that is going to be filled by Frank Fatrano there. So I, I think that I think it's just a very it's a big lost opportunity if you the don't. The counter argument that I that I don't like is that oh well this team already struggles to score goals and now you're going to trade one of their only goal scorers. It's like this current team is not the final version. Like this isn't, this isn't the team we're going to see compete in the playoffs. And not only that, that misses the fact that even with that goal scoring, he's not necessarily providing you great value outside of that. His defensive game this season, I don't want to say doesn't get enough flack because I don't want people to all of a sudden start bashing him. But like all the hate that Trevor Zegers gets for his defensive game, which has not been founded this year. Like, Frank Vetrano has been guilty of a lot of that stuff this season. Like just yep. missed assignments, bad positioning, all of that. Like he's had a lot of those moments this season. Yep. All right. So let's get to questions finally. Sorry. I figured we needed to talk about that though briefly. Uh, SB84 said, this is all from our Patreon exclusive discord. Go to patreon.com slash crash where if you subscribe with the $2 tier, you get access to our discord. Uh, and at any of the higher tiers, you also get access. SB84 said, even if the ducks are picking high outside of the top three, but at four or five, should they consider packaging and trading the pick with other assets for a premium superstar to the roster? Oh man. So picking high outside of the top three, but at four or five. Well, I don't feel super confident in my draft prep this year. So I am far not confident yet. either in my draft prep at all. But right sure, now. I mean, it, like getting a superstar would be great. I I just don't think that right now there's like a can't miss prospect in that range where I would feel just you know gutted if the Ducks didn't draft them. And so yeah, it depends who the superstar is. It depends what their contract is. All those different caveats, but. I think that where the Ducks are at right now, with the stable of, of talent that they've built up, both on the blue line and up front, you are now in a position where you should at least think about it. Yes. Yep, I, I would agree. Uh, I think, I mean, so the same thing. Of it, it just really depends on who's out there, what the deal is for. And I don't know this draft well enough to consider who's at four or five. So... Was unfolding said as a non-hockey player, I'm curious what are the reasons besides obvious encroachment that refs send players out of the faceoff circle, and why does it seem McTavish is always being thrown? That out? happened like five times today. I was so confused; like he just kept happening to him. Yeah, I actually don't know. I don't really know those rules very well. I mean, I think it's stick down. One of the guys stick down first. I, I forget. Can it happen because of the winger too? Yes, it can happen with the winger encroaching. If they encroach on the face-off, it can get a guy kicked out. If a guy goes too early uh, and tries to get tries to jump, basically ahead of the puck being dropped, he can get tossed. There's a whole lot of reasons for it. Yeah. Um, Olaf as berserker said, "What will it take for 23 to be benched?" Uh, yeah. So I think someone asked earlier if he got benched in the third period. I don't think so. I no. He still he still got to take a bunch of shifts yeah this wasn't a zegris bench game for mccavish he feels almost unbenchable and i don't I mean, want to, him to get benched i don't like players getting benched yeah today would have been the game for it if you're going to do it after that that goal early yeah. on on the penalty kill so i don't think he will be at this point in time um so yeah uh terry for captain Drumbanger said i know i asked felix early but i figured i'd bring it up here penalties have been a crutch of this team how much of this is on the coaching staff not saying this to demand cronin's removal but the issue clearly needs to be addressed and he said also it's time for it to give uh, is it time to give troy terry the c i mean i think it's 50 50 at a minimum i think that the coaches do bear responsibility on on i mean m- making sure your players are disciplined and following the game plan 
that falls, I mean, that's a big responsibility of the coach. Yeah. And especially the fact that Cronin is kind of seen as this, you know, disciplinarian, hard ass, whatever you want to call him, and that his team is still this undisciplined. I think that, yeah, that does land at his feet. Yep. And you also look at how many too many mountain ice calls there have been. That also falls on his feet because that is a line change issue. That is a coaching issue. Yeah. And the, today, the, some of those line changes were very costly. Yeah. And yes, give Troy Terry the captain. He he is the captain of this team. He is the person that deserves it the most on this roster. Leo Carlson. Troy Terry deserves it more right now. Give it to Leo, Leo Carlson. Carlson. He is the want, face of the franchise. Sure, if you want to do that. But Troy Terry deserves it the most as of right now. Brad says, at what point do we see Zellweger? I, think, I don't know. I don't I th- know. You want a bold prediction, bold take? Well, we see him tomorrow? No. 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 Okay. Well, then it's not going to be that bold then. We see number 51 on Saturday in San Jose. Yeah. I mean, like the door is open now with Minchikov being injured for mm-hmm. the next six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we I do, see him. Oh, go ahead. And I do think it's important to just give him a taste. Like, I don't think that he should come up for like the rest of the season or anything. But giving him a game or two, just to just as a reward for kind of the the, the what he's been able to accomplish in the AHL, um, some of the progress he's made, and mm-hmm. yeah, right now there is a little bit of a need, like whether it's Robert Hag or Earl Vakanainen who has played well. Like there's not really anyone that's like a clear barrier for of entry for him to come in. So I'm not gonna bang the drum for it. I would like to see him, of course. But I think that what is going on right now in San Diego is very positive for him. But I think that it's totally warranted to come to to call him up for a short stretch here. Yeah. I so the Ducks should be coming home. Um, I think they come home tomorrow night. I don't believe they are going straight to San Jose. I believe that John Allers mentioned they're coming back to Orange County and then will fly up on either I guess Friday or Saturday to San Jose. So that gives the Ducks the ability to call him up, get him in a couple practices ahead of a game against San Jose, which I think is a fantastic game and a fantastic opponent to throw him out there against to see what he can do. It's going to be a game where the Ducks are going to get their chances. It's going to highlight his game. If you're looking, I I really just can't think of a better game to put him out there for his NHL debut. Yeah, it'd be cool. So there's my bull take. I could go to that game. Olin Zellweger on the ice on Saturday in San Jose. Do I, go, uh, do I go to Olin Zellweger's debut if it happens it, here? You should. Hey, OG Flo said, what is your midseason grade for Greg Cronin? Ooh, it is going down. I'd <laughs> say B. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go B minus. I'll go solid B. There's just some issues that just are not going away. Yeah. That, and that like he has shown an, an inability to, to fix at all. Like, like the, the defensive issues that have crept up in the last, we'll call it two months. They're not, they're just not going anywhere regardless of who's in the lineup. And then the penalty taking huge problem, the power play, huge problem, like the, and the penalty kill has been awful. Um, and so you put that all together and it's like, yeah, he's not Dallas Akins. This team looks better than it did. Mm-hmm. Culture, structure, compete. All of that has been an upgrade, but like, the just kind of objective results aren't awesome. Let's they're trending. They're, they're trending up. I think they're overall. trending up from like a forty thousand feet above view. Yeah, but this but, season they are not a good team. Yeah, like there's like full stop. Like they're 29th yeah. in XG on the penalty kill. 
handing over all the control of the power play to Neil Brown has been a total mistake. Yep. And and Greg Cronin just seems to go along with it. Um, you know, Ross Johnson getting time over anyone is a mistake. Oh yeah, so, we should have mentioned Brent Leeson is hurt. Yeah, so like I just can't really give him a great grade. I think that I would have given him a B maybe like a month ago, but now he's dropped down to B minus for me. See, I probably would have given him a B plus A minus about a month or two ago, and now it's fallen down to a B for me overall. So I think it's fallen. I think the primary thing is the the major issues with this rot with this scheme and penalty taking, penalty kill, power play, they're all easily addressable and they have not been addressed. So I, I well, think also, that, that's the issue. My big concern is just that his whole man-to-man defensive zone structure that we kind of lauded in the beginning of the season has shown major cracks, and there just hasn't really been any adjustment. You know, like like maybe there are times where it looks like they're getting slightly away from it, but there are so many times where there's just these breakdowns in the D zone. Guys just don't know who to switch to. Um you know, their ability to, to defend odd man rushes. And Greg Cronin's whole calling card was details, details, system, structure. And like, I would just expect more from a, a coach who that is their reputation. All right. Uh, BPH said, Will Jake say one nice thing about Mason McTavish? And Bring Felix Perry say, home. Is that his name? Yeah. And then Felix say two nice things about Mason McTavish. Uh, great shot, great playmaker. Uh, great in transition. There you go. Yep. Easy. Nevada Maniac said, if you were Pat Verbeek for a day, what moves would you make and why? Uh, wave Ross Johnston. Wave Ross Johnston. Fire Newell Brown. <laughs> wave Ross Johnston. Fire Newell Brown. Bring up Pavel Regenda. Bring up Olin Zellweger. Um, anything else off the top of your head? I mean, I'm not trying to do a major move with a trade or anything like that just because I don't really see anything right now. Um, uh, tell Cam Fowler it's time to have the co- the conversation. He's not going to... Like, Cam's no, not going to... I was asked what I would do. Oh. And I'm, I'm telling Cam Fowler that it's time to, to go. It's time to start shopping around for, for cities you want to live in. I will I will trade you to where you want to go. I will trade you exactly he, where you want. Where and, you want. And he can say, get bent. I have a four-team no-trade list. He can say that, but I can also broach it. Like, I don't know why you're so against this idea no but you can broach it but he can also just say get no but 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 you seem to be against the idea because your first instinct is always this won't happen this won't happen blah 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 no i'm not i'm not i'm not saying it will happen i'm saying that it's something that they should consider sure but i just don't see that i here's the thing the reason why i kind of nix it right away all the time is that i just don't see it as being a viable option because you have cam fowler who has been with this team his entire his entire career he negotiated in this very, very stringent no trade clause. Mm-hmm. He is a guy that has been with the Ducks through the highs and now through the lows. And uh-huh. they're starting to come out of it. If he would have wanted out, it would have been two or three years ago that he would have requested a trade and said, I will move, I will waive my no trade clause to get out of here to go and compete. So I just don't view that as being something that he would be amenable to waiving. Sure, you could ask him. I just personally don't think it's going to go anywhere. Sure, you get the four teams. He may put four teams on there that you won't want to. I think it's just more likely that you will see a Fowler buyout than you will see a Fowler trade. I just think regardless, we're reaching the point where Cam Fowler is declining. Sure. He has, he's played poorly this season. The numbers sure, he, show it. The of, eye test of late, shows it. Of late, it's been really bad. I will give you I that. mean, the the numbers on the season are terrible. He had a stretch where he was playing better. 
but it's fallen off lately for sure. I think a large portion of that is he should not be playing as much as he should. I think if he was put into a better role, it would be a better situation, but that is, I mean, that is a Cronin issue along with a Fowler issue. I just don't, I, I just don't see a trade happening necessarily because the cap of that space usage for him is inefficient. The Ducks sure, have plenty sure. of left shot D. Sure. He just doesn't fit anymore. Sure. I, I don't disagree with any of this. Still doesn't change my opinion that I don't see him getting traded. I don't see it either. I'm just saying that the the call for it should be louder. I don't think it like this is why guys like you're, negotiate you're, you're and acting, no trade calls. You're, you're acting like players with these types of restrictions and ha- one one team players have never been traded. Like it, it's happened all it's happened many times throughout any yes, history, and but it will it, happen many times it, again. It, it typically happens when a player wants to be moved. It could get to that point. It could it, get to that point. Sure. We don't, we don't I, know. We I know just per- nothing about his mental state. Agreed. I just would personally say, if, or I would just say, if he had not gotten to that point two or three years ago, I don't think he would be there now. But now the Ducks have a greater impetus to want to make it happen. They, Like I said. The Ducks no. may have never approached him about it. Like I'm not talking about him so, asking out. I'm saying the Ducks approaching him saying, hey, like, blah, blah, this is where we see things going, and him being like, okay, well, fine, like, I'll go somewhere where I can win, like, it just makes more sense, I don't want to be somewhere where I'm not wanted, blah, 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 the whole rhetoric you always hear. I just, like, like, I personally, like, how, like, how, I personally, how is that, how is I that impossible? Pers- because I personally, I would, it's happened now it's, so many times in NHL history. Because it typically happens when a player wants to, wants to be on the move, wants to be moved from that situation, and that's why they are willing to waive their no trade clause to go to a different sure. team. This is something that he negotiated into his contract for a specific reason that he is happy in Anaheim does not want to get traded to any of the NHL teams outside of four teams um, without his consent. And he can go ahead and tell to his credit, uh, Pat Verbeek, nope, don't want to get traded to that team. Nope, not going to do it. Not getting traded to any of these teams. And I just think if there was going to be a situation where he would have asked to be traded and be been willing to, to move that no trade clause to go to a winning environment, it would have happened over two or three years ago. So yeah, I that, mean, things can that, change. Sure. Like we're That's not, why we're not stuck in the mud here. No, but I think a buyout is more likely to happen if he's going to be off this roster. That's where I'm getting at. It, I mean, yeah, that, sure. Maybe I'll just buy out Cam Fowler instead. Like, yeah. Maybe that'll be what I'll do in that in my one day as GM. There, there you go. I forgot that's how we got here. OG Leo Carlson Truther said the Anaheim Ducks of Anaheim, California Earth will select fifth overall in the 2024 draft. Debate or agree, but uh, make sure to uplift me. I agree. I think fifth overall is is what's going to happen. They're going to win the lottery and get first overall. Boom. <laughs> uh, I really don't want them to get the first overall pick. Why? Because I think the Sharks need it just so much more. Nope. Like, nope. I, I just, the Ducks have such an embarrassment of riches. Yep. That I just don't think that they need a Macklin Celebrini personally. Give give me Macklin. Have the them shark, win the play the down the stretch. So play down bad. Play well down the stretch. Fifth best odds. Win the lottery. Makes up for last year. Uh, SP eighty four says Jake and Felix don't read my reply on the podcast. Hashtag he, trade the pick. He he literally said don't read this. Don't read my reply. Hashtag trade the pick. That was oh, the reply. He, I thought he was like challenging us that we weren't going to read it. <laughs> well, regardless, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. Burgundy at this point. I'm not against trading it. Yeah. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you consider it? Like, I just don't think that 
Agreed. Where the ducks are at that they necessarily need to be thinking about the long, long term. Because whoever you're going to be drafting after a certain point is going to take a little time. Yeah. All right. So let's we we're at an hour twenty. So let's blitz through some questions from our Twitch and YouTube. So if you're at Twitch, uh, want to find us, and you're listening on your favorite podcast services, you can go to Twitch.tv/CrashThePond where you can help support us. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, and it does help out more than you can imagine. Um, or if you want to support us, go to YouTube.com/CrashThePond uh, and subscribe to our channel. Uh, over there, like our videos, you can give us a super chat, anything along those lines. So DB Lowry said, uh, shittier fan base, fire fans for the Kevin Hayes death threats or Detroit lions fans for booing Matt Stafford's daughters. People suck. Yeah. Flyer. I'll go flyers, but both suck. Let's go with that. Uh, Stifa Shijian said, should we draft a forward or D with our top five pick? If you can forward. But I don't think that a right shot D is like a bad choice. No. Because the, the Ducks' right side is a little less certain than it was a week ago. Yep. Yep. Um, and so while we wait for questions, let's get to some shit show questions for funsies. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, so these are non-hockey questions for not, those who don't know. Non-hockey questions. Uh, let's see. Goose said, would you rather fight 100 Luca Profaka-sized blue whales or one Luca Profaka-sized uh, blue whale? So I guess Luca Perfaka now name wise is just replacing Jack Kapaka. See our answer last week. Let's do that. Sure. Um, let's see. Noted corner store owner uh, said the world's at his most desperate hour. Jake has the chance to save all of humanity, but in order to do so, he must consume two scrambled eggs uh, twice per day for a week. What is the fate of the world? I, I cover my nose and do it. You're all welcome. Cover my uh, nose. And eat it wow. and figure it out. I don't know. I'd save all you guys. You're welcome. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, okay. Non shit show question now. Uh, Elizabeth Leo said, Question How would you describe Luno's playing style? And do you see him as a top pairing D man? And do you think he could be better than Drysdale or meet the same level? Wow, that's a great question. I think Tristan Luno is a lot like Jamie Drysdale, but less of a, I mean, obviously, he's less of a great skater but very offensively inclined, loves to join the rush, loves to activate off the blue line. He's a good passer. Um, he has a lot of great offensive instincts, but I don't know if I like. I guess he could play in a top pairing fully developed, but I don't see him as like a surefire top pairing defenseman. Yep. I, and uh, do I think he could be better than Drysdale? Yes. Yes, I do, I do so. too. Yeah. I do too. RJ Mateco said, knowing what Drysdale is, would you rather have traded him, Zellweger, or Minchikov for uh, Cutter? Him. Easily. Oh, yeah. Drysdale is 100% the first guy I trade out of those three. Yep. Uh, Daniel Mee said, any chance you think Carlson could end up with the Calder coming back quicker than intended? I mean, hey, if he continues to play like he did and he piles up the points, and I mean, Bedard is out for a while, too. Yeah. I think. So, it, sure. He would have to lead the league in uh, points by a rookie. <laughs> is where it would have to end up. Why not? Um, TG said, question, do you think it's possible the Ducks could move Gibson with Dostal stepping up in his recent games? I mean, I feel like we're going to get more clarity on this as the deadline approaches because there's just so many teams with a need in net. And there's a lot of goalies who could also be moved to help alleviate those needs in net. So I still don't think John Gibson gets traded this season. That's still an off-season trade to me. Uh... You know what? I'll go opposite of you. I'll say yes, he's moved. Okay. I mean, I think that would be more entertaining. Yeah. 
Um, let's see. Uh, Elizabeth Leo said, Kalorn has a lot of chemistry with Carlson. When Zegris comes back, how would you create the top line? Uh, how would you create the top line? I would go Zegris in the middle. Also, top line I leave alone. Carlson, Terry, Kalorn. Okay. And then second line, I go McTavish on the wing, Trevor Zegris in the middle, and... Let's just throw in Cutter Gauthier, even though he's not here yet. I think you you use Strom, Zegris. Stromer Vetrano as the placeholder. I think you do Terry. You do Gauthier, Zegris, Terry, and then you have McTavish, Carlson, Kalorn. Boom. Okay. Put McTavish on the wing. Okay. Um, let's see. Sturdy said, "Does Minchkov have the leadership of Drysdale?" No clue. Was Drysdale no, a leader? That that's what I was also. Where did you say. get that from? No clue if Drysdale's a leader either. Like that is all yeah. stuff that we don't really know. All kind yeah. of conjecture. Hard to really make anything about that. Uh, yeah. TG said off the wall question: If you could change the broadcast team, uh, who would you pick? Sassy Hayward has been great recently, though. Uh, if I could change it, if I could change it, I wouldn't change it. Leave Brian and John alone. Wow. Leave them alone. Let them be. Wow. Uh, I would replace Brian Hayworth, Mike Johnson. I'd rather give me Emerson Edom. Why not someone who's, you know, got some attachment to the fan base, to the local area. Mike Johnson. I like him, but I do listen. I do get to hear him more often. I would love to hear him talk about the ducks consistently. He's, he tries a little too hard to be the analytics guys. Oh, see, I love it. And sometimes it annoys me because I'm like, all right, all right. Because sometimes I'm like, I want to know what you think. Like, don't just tell me what the numbers say. I want to know your opinion. Like, you were an NHL player. I want to bring, like, he should, I feel like he doesn't do a good enough job sometimes of melding the two together. And then Alex Faust can replace John Hay, or Brian Aller, or uh, uh, John Allers. I just John Allers is fine. Leave him alone. Kevin Bieksa also. Kevin Bieksa would be a great choice. Yes. Yes. You know, I think Ryan Getzloff would be an interesting color commentator. He would be fantastic. I think he'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Get Ryan um, Getzlaff on there. Let's see. Uh, and then uh, and then retire 35 when you're done. Yeah, a couple shit show questions, but let's get to these couple of ones that we've got in uh, YouTube still. Daniel Me said, did you guys talk about McTavish uh, getting put on the third pairing, finally getting punished for a bad play? Uh, I don't think he was ever put on the third line. They just kind of shifted everything around, and they put they made it Vetrano, Lundestrom, McTavish. And Ooh, so just, Hen- Henrique was with Strom. And so the game the game started with McTavish, Strom, and Henrique, and Henrique, and yeah. then it was Lundestrom, Vetrano, McGinn on the third line. Yeah, and they basically swapped. They so well. <laughs> yeah, depends on how you you view it. They swapped McGinn and uh, McTavish. I do think it was a demotion to the third line. You think it was okay? I think so. Just with the way the game was going and the fact that. Henrique and Strom were playing pretty well. I mean, Strom had that really great play to draw a penalty. I want to put on like two moves. It felt like a little bit of a demotion to me. See, I, I saw putting McTavish with Toronto as kind of this combination of those two that have been the second I mean, maybe, line for the Ducks. Maybe, yeah. That was more so how I viewed it, but it's possible. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Leo said, who do you consider to be the Ducks untouchables? Leo Carlson. Number 91, and that might be it. Yeah. Maybe, I would maybe add in Trevor Zegers. Because I just think that Trevor Zegers' style and his playmaking ability is like almost impossible to to replace. Yep. Um, and then 
But it's Leo Carlson is the only true untouchable. So we'll get to this, and then the two other shit show nope, questions. No Pavel Minchikov? I'd say Pavel could be there also. 91 yeah. Plutie says, yeah, Carlson and Minchikov, that, that's it. Yeah. Um, la, uh, let's see. Strider6425 said, where do you think Lundestrom is on this team or with this team in the future? Where do you see him? Uh, with Not this on this team. I think he's a good fourth-line center on this team. I don't know if he's a center, to be quite honest with you. Like he, like I, I think that if he's a center, he has to be a fourth line center. Yep, he has to be in a role where you basically expect almost zero offense. And so I think he's a winger if he's a third liner, and I think he's not on this team most likely. Yep. Uh, noted corner store owner said the world is at its most desperate hour. This is now a shit show question. Felix has the chance to save all of humanity, but in order to do so, he must put olives on everything he eats every day, twice per day for a week. What is the fate of the world? The world is blowing up. Wow. Just kidding. No, I've, I will save the world. I'll save humanity. Okay. Uh, I don't get this question from, from BPH. He said, uh, do you think Adam and Reek, uh, as a refreshing bite of pineapple in that one dish you love that has pineapple in any way, shape or form? Do you, is this about I, pineapple on pizza? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm all for random shit show questions, but yeah. Um, fusion. Very confused there. Uh, let's see. Uh, Corey Todd asked us about potential for doing this live before or after a game at, at Noble, taking in-person questions. Uh, that'd be a little tough because Felix is up in NorCal. So it's kind of difficult to do that. I mean, if the stars ever aligned. I'm, if the stars aligned, if the yeah. stars aligned, we could try to make that happen and make it work. Yeah, I mean, it's, I know it's a thing that people, podcasts do like live shows. Which sounds kind of weird to me because it's like I'm so used to just we're, talking we're, in, into my my computer. I'm just used to talking to Jake on my screen, um, but yeah, we're not and we're not like comedians or TED talkers. Like we don't really have anything that important to say. Uh, but if people want it, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll we'll sure. make it happen. So I think that's gonna CTP do it. Times Coach Zach collab. What do you think about that? Ducks game day breakdown collab. What do you say? No why response? did why did Lou put a football question into shit show questions? <laughs> the Texans go into Baltimore and CJ destroys mid. So we have our good friend Lou in our Discord who hates Lamar Jackson. He thinks Lamar Jackson is not a good quarterback. He's also a Raiders fan, and so he calls Lamar. He says Midmar instead of Lamar, and he thinks he's so hilarious for it. He's like, he says the Wait, Texans. He he's replacing something that has an L in it with mid. Yeah. <laughs> like I just don't get it. Yeah. But anyway, he says the Texans go into Baltimore and CJ destroys Midmar. Uh I love the Texans. I love CJ Stroud, but it's the Baltimore Ravens that will win that game. Okay. All right. Let Okay, Helmet. let's get out it. Let's get out of here. We're at an hour and a half. Helmet. We're at lap lengths right now. Uh question. Shout out lap. Bring Perry home? Question mark. Nope. He was doesn't make sense by the NHL. Yes. Still doesn't make sense for the ducks. Cleared of wrongdoing. It wasn't cleared. of. <laughs> don't, don't misrepresent. What Why do you it hate wasn't... Corey Perry? <sighs> was not cleared of wrongdoing. Let, let's be clear. Let's not he's, misrepresent the fact he's here. eligible to return. He's, or... he's yes. He is eligible to return. He is, uh, gone in, gotten help, done everything that the league wanted him to do to be able to make it back into the league. Oh, Winterborn asked earlier, are we sure Dostal is him? 
Uh, Dostal has played really well. Yes. And despite all the people trashing him in the beginning of the season, he is, he is very good. He is an NHL goalie. Um, so please apologize to him if you haven't yet. Why do people think I hate either Corey Perry or Jay Shiger? I do not. You actively like campaigned against 35 going up in the wait, rafters. No, wait. You campaigned. <laughs> Did I get up get up on like a, a pulpit or whatever? And, you have, and, a, you and, have and, a sign in front of your house that says <laughs> Orange County Dad's against 35 being retired. <laughs> <laughs> what are you getting? What is he grabbing in the background here? And now I cannot see. You think having a Jaguar shirt just absolves you of all sins? Yeah. That's not how that works. Yeah. And now DB, DB Lowry saying, I hate, you hate Jiggy as much, almost as much as I hate Swedes. Can we retire that? Like how many, how many Leo Carlson videos <laughs> and showers of praise do I need to put on Leo Carlson for that to go away? Yes. I think Isaac Lenders was a fourth line center. Yes, I thought Jacob Larson was not good before it was cool to say that. Yes, I think Jakob Solberg is past his prime. All those things are true. That does not mean I hate Swedish people or players. And also, Jakob Solberg played very well today. Should point that out. Did he score a goal? I know. He, I think he had an assist or something. Yeah, no, he had a breakaway breakaway goal. Yeah. So good on Silverberg. Turn back the clock. But 30, 35 deserves to go up. It just does because of the because of the fact that twenty seven is up there. I would agree with that. Okay, I don't disagree with that. My point is what I would personally do. I would have neither of those up there. Uh, okay. Let, let's I end th- this thing. Wow, just just ducking. <laughs> we're, we're at the hour thirty three mark, Felix. Ducking the unpopular topics, the hard questions. Remember this, folks. Remember who it was that ended this, not me. Um. <laughs> Okay, on that note, thank you for watching, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a few really easy ways uh, for you to do so. The number one way, go check out our Patreon page. Uh, that's really the foundation of the podcast. It's the bedrock of the podcast. It's patreon.com slash crash the pond. Um, for $2 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. Uh, this is, to me, the best online Anaheim Ducks fan community and even if you're not a Ducks fan, True Blue, you can still go in there, just you know, talk with cool people, learn a lot about hockey. There's always chats going on during the game when trades go down. Um, it's really just the best way to stay connected and know what's going on with the team. It's honestly a lot easier to have Discord to me than to scroll Twitter because you just open it and you'll probably see what's going on right away. And our um, good friend Derek Lee is in there. We have the Ducks beat reporter, Derek Lee, who's a member of our Discord server, so he... He has a channel that is just called uh, hashtag Derek updates. So if you just want to cut cut out everything, cut out everything Twitter related and just have that, you can do it that way. $2 a month. And then for $7.50 a month, you get access to two bonus podcasts. Um, so those are really fun. You know, we talk either more in depth, more unfiltered about the Ducks themselves, or we talk about other NHL teams. You also get access to uh, exclusive Patreon player breakdown videos. So you can go to our YouTube channel now and see the ones that we have up. You get more of those on on the Patreon page. Um, and I would say that the Patreon ones are even more in-depth than the YouTube ones. Um, so that's all at patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We really appreciate that. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. Like we've been mentioning here, there's videos there. 
There's also a lot of shorts, a lot of clips of the podcast. So throughout the week, you can get bite-sized pieces, snippets of the show. Um, some of them are sillier, as we, as you can go see on the channel right now. Mm-hmm. But but some of them are just hitting the main points from the show if you just don't feel like scrolling all the way back. So that's at youtube.com slash crash the pond. Uh, check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got a shop there. Hey, the Ducks won today, so that means Vibes, Vibes HC. HC is in full effect. We've got great t-shirts there. They're really fun. Um, and it also helps support us. So that's really important. And also just follow us on social media. Jake and I are both on Twitter. Go follow us there. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. Go Niners. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.